Thank you for joining Detroit Church's Greatest Adventure Bible Study Podcast. During this time of study, we will be engaging with the scriptures through facilitated teaching, discussions, and group interaction. If you would like to follow along, go to DetroitChurch.com and click on the Greatest Adventure Bible Study tab. If there's any other information you would like to keep up with at Detroit Church, please click on DetroitChurch.com backslash trending. All right. Any questions from Sunday? Now, if you weren't here on Sunday, that's not a big deal. Uh, You know, I do want to recommend that you keep up with our services. You can do so on uh, YouTube or on our own uh, website, uh, DetroitChurch.com, to uh, catch the latest latest sermon in the series. And uh, we're hoping that you will avail yourself of that and that that will prompt uh, some questions that you might have. Galatians is a deep book. Uh, Paul is a is a deep guy, and we serve a really deep guy. Uh, so, you, you know, I, I won't be surprised. I have questions as I go through the study. That's what drives my study, uh, questions that I come across. And then I go digging and look for those answers. Uh, but week number two, no questions for Sunday. Hey, the folks who are preaching, oh, oh, okay, scratch that. You have a question. All right, all right. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Just, you know, the drill. All right, all right. It is on. I just have a question about the question types. So Sunday would be related to what was preached on Sunday, something that Pastor Fon said maybe that we want further clarification on. Correct. thinking. Right. Not like, oh, what does this theologically mean? Well, both. Okay. You know, as long as if it's germane to the text. Right. You, you know, because it's my job. Uh, our job is those who will minister this to try our best. Now, I'm not coming up here telling you I'm going to have all the answers. I don't have a problem saying I don't know. I'll get back to you. Uh, you, you know, but as best I'm able, because I've studied the passage that he, that he preached already, you, you know, and so and I make sure to try to be here myself to listen to, uh, uh-oh, all right, uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. But I, again, I make sure my, myself to try to, to, you have a suggestion. Okay, all right. So if it's regarding the message from Sunday, this first part, this first set of questions can be asked. If it's regarding something in the text, theological, not necessarily from the sermon, then there's a time at the end of your presentation that will open it back up. Yeah, and even during the middle. If we're going we're gonna to cover it. Okay. Cover, we're going to cover okay. a lot. Okay. So. <clears throat> All right. She said she's cool. She's cool. Now, um, we good? Going once, going twice. Okay, all right. That's no problem there. Uh, I hoped y'all wouldn't have any questions because we didn't get a chance to finish uh, last week, and I wanted to use that opportunity to slide in real quick a couple of nuggets from the last couple of verses. But before we do, I also want to take this time to issue a a clarification on something I said and a correction on on what I said last week. Uh, The correction is this. I was sharing a story uh, about a time I spent in Africa at the foot of the Nile, and I said Ethiopia. Uh, and that was the wrong country. It was Uganda, uh, where that had sort of experience happened. I was there. It was me. Uh, I just got my country uh, twisted up. So I want to make that, because I listened to it today, as is my custom to do so, to make sure, you know, did I, did I say what I thought I said? You know, I'm like, oh, man, I messed that up. And then secondly, I wanted to uh, add a clarification. Eli asked a question last week about reconciling the creation of God, 
Yeah, we see in Genesis, it's good, it's good, it's good about the number of things and all that God created. And then we see Paul talking about in Galatians that God's given us grace and peace for this present evil age. And we expounded upon that. And he asked me a question and I told him, you, you asked an A plus question. I gave you a C minus answer. And I don't like C minuses. So I figured out it was bothering me all through the week. So I said, you know what? I need to come back and, uh, and try and take another swing at that to see if I can raise my grade. Thankfully, he has uh, been gracious enough. You know, you have some professors to say, suck it up. I'm sorry. You know, he's been gracious enough to give me another swing at the title. And so <clears throat> I think, again, I, I didn't fail, but I didn't give a good an answer as I should have given. Uh, the better answer that I have concerning reconciling the two facts. Yes, God created everything and it was good in his sight. And yes, with sin coming into the world, the flood, we're now living a different age uh, the world is dramatically different than it was then, and that's what I talked about last week. And so how do we reconcile those two things, right? I believe we reconcile those two things. Those are two truths that are equally true, all right? Um, and, and so take a quick look at Psalm 19, if you would. Psalm 19, uh, the, the first five or six verses or so. Let's take a quick peek. And in Psalm 19, <clears throat> What we see, all right, in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above or the firmament proclaims his handiwork day unto day above, day unto day pours out speech, night unto night reveals gladness, no speech, no words where their voice is not heard. What is the psalmist doing? The psalmist is describing the created order, all right, from the heavens. He's saying, looking up into the sky. Whether you look with the naked eye or you get a telescope, uh, these things speak of the grandeur and glory of God, right? They still do, right? And so the psalmist has no problem declaring that, hey, this stuff is still great. Now, when the psalmist wrote that, the psalmist lived in the same fallen world that you and I live in and yet proclaims that the heavens declare the glory of God. Paul lived in the same fallen uh, world that you and I live in. Take a uh, fast forward up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we'll look at oh, around about verse 19 or so. Uh, pick it up at verse 18. Notice what Paul says here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy or worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Notice what he says, for the creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. The earth didn't say, mess me up, right? Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so if we could anthropomorphize the earth, the earth is waiting even more than we are for the son of God to come back and set things right. If the earth could speak, no doubt it would scream daily. I can't believe you're doing this to me. You, you know, I'm giving you trees for oxygen. I'm giving you water to eat. You dump trash in the water. You burn the trees, right, unnecessarily. You, you know, you put smoke in the air and all of that. The earth would scream at us if it could. Now, we're not to become earth worshipers. We are stewards of the earth, but the earth itself is 
under this same penalty. God penalized the ground. All right, when he told Adam, cursed is the ground for your sake, we're seeing the magnitude of that. We see the magnitude of it in hurricanes, earthquakes, volcanoes. The full extent of that cursing of the ground can boggle our minds. It can, it can really mess us up when we see the impact of the curse of the earth when uh, hurricanes kill thousands or people are homeless because of flooded valleys and all those kind of things. And so, yes, we can still look up and see the, the, the majesty, as Sister Kim called it last week, of all this God created, beautiful gardens and all of that. And we can still uh, recoil at the horror of the fallen nature of creation itself. Both things are true. We got to deal with both. And God gives us grace to deal with both. So that's my, that's my swing out of A-plus answer. You let me know what the grade was, you know, at the end of the, end of the story, bro. All right. Uh, with that being said, now, pick it up. We go back into Galatians. We're supposed to get through from verse 10 through 24 tonight. I'm going to do my very best uh, with the hour and 15 minutes I have to do that. But I am going to cheat a little bit because that first section, 1 through 10, ended so powerfully. There's a couple of points I just want to raise from there. Notice verse 7 in Galatians chapter 1, because we left at verse 6 last week. Just want to read those three verses, uh, 7, 8, 9. Not that there is another one, make a reference to the gospel, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel, contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Now, uh, we dealt last, we closed up last week with me demonstrating or showing you some other gospels that are out there, the prosperity gospel, the works gospel, cult gospel. So I won't uh, restate that again. You can listen to it. By the way, uh, we are on podcast now. So if you missed something or what have you, uh, you can go to our podcast and, and uh, listen to the previous week's uh, Bible study. That's great. And, oh, and another correction. I gave you all the wrong, we- we- uh, the wrong email address uh, to go to if you have questions. So if you, if you email me and I didn't email you back or, or Pastor Sonny didn't email you back, it's my fault. Because I told you email got questions at DetroitChurch.com, right? But it's got Bible questions. It's, it's, it's shame on the Bible teacher for forgetting the Bible. Uh, got Bible questions at DetroitChurch.org.com is the proper website. So if you got some questions that hit you through the middle of the week uh, or what have you, or after, after the service, then that's the, uh, that's, the, that's the spot to go to. Now, from verse 7, I, I, this is one of the reasons I wanted to come back to this. Paul talked about his audience uh, being troubled, right? Uh, this word troubled means to render anxious or distressed, to perplex the mind of one by suggesting doubts. Or, you, you know, this is what Satan did to Eve. Has God said that? In the day you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. He planted a seed of doubt in her mind, right? There's still, Satan still uses that trick, right, to today. And so my question to you guys as we get started off is have any of you experienced someone seeking to distort your understanding of the gospel? And if so, how did you handle that situation or were you troubled in your faith? I wanted to start there because quite honestly, there are Christians who are troubled in their faith. You know, people who tell you you can lose your salvation. That's a troubling thought. 
You, you know, so if you take hold of that, that should mess you up. Right? You, you know, that makes you wonder, man, you know, if I go to bed and I drove 60 on the way to Bible study and I forget to confess that and I die in my sleep, I've died in my sins. You know, am I going to heaven or hell? I might not sleep at all. Thinking, I mean, you, if you're not sure about whether you're going to heaven or hell, that's a good reason not to sleep. Right? You, you know, you want to make sure. Right? And, and so, you know, I don't know the experience base of everybody in this group. You might have had somebody, you might have came from a background, you might have been under some teaching where legitimate doubts have been placed in your mind. And I don't promise to be able to answer all your doubts, but as it pertains to uh, your salvation, I think the scriptures can give us a place to stand firm. Jesus didn't come do all he did so that we could walk around kind of hoping and wishing that maybe we might go to heaven if... All right, that's that's nothing. That's no kind of salvation. That's nothing that I would want to participate in, right? You, you know, uh, nobody's raising their hand, so that's great. That, that's wonderful. I, I wanted to to make sure sure of that. And if you don't want to share in this context, or come holler at me later, come holler at my wife or Pastor Sonny afterwards if that's something that. Oh, okay. Now the hands pop up. All right. Uh, oh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, you this is your first time. Stop trying to run a, run a service. So, my neighbor, um, we were in a just a um, small discussion, and he is a, a black Hebrew Israelite, mm-hmm. and we were just having a discussion about something else, and then he just threw up that because he knows that I'm a Christian, and so he was saying, "Well, you know, you are, you know, you one of the original Hebrews or whatever." So, and then he said that. Um, well, you know, Jesus, Jesus wasn't a Christian. I said, well, I'm a Christian. You know, I said, he said, well, you know what? Jesus wasn't, um, what does he say? He said, Jesus wasn't a Christian. I said, well, I am a follower of Christ. Okay. I said, so this is what I stand on. And so this is what I believe. And so he was just really trying to push the black Hebrew Israelite um, yeah. concept or whatever. on right. me. So I was just a little confused about so your, your question is, was Jesus a Christian? Well, I told him, I said, no, Jesus wasn't Christian. Jesus was a Jew. I said, I know that he was a Jew. Right, right. Yeah, right. I said, but we as Christians call ourselves Christians because, of, because we follow um, Christ. Christ. Right. And so that's why we call ourselves Christians. Right. But he was trying to convince me that I was a black. So I want to make sure I understand what your question is now. So my question is, how do you, when someone tries to convince you or, you know, as far as the black Hebrew Israelite, what should be the response as far as that? And I know that could be a, a big... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a big one. Uh, you, you, you want to... Because you've been, you've been swinging at that. Uh, wait, 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 wait. You got to wait for the mic, too, because other people are going to hear this. It's going out all over the world. I, <laughs> too much pressure. I am going to deal with that Sunday. I'm going to deal with it Sunday briefly. So just a little preview. I would say he's right. Jesus wasn't. And... Interestingly enough, the first place where people were called Christians was in the region of Galatia, mm-hmm. in the specific city of Antioch, the very first place. And they were called Christians because the world, looking up on the followers of Jesus, says, oh, those are the Christians. So sometimes we can overemphasize a term because culturally it's become familiar or comfortable. What, did, what does God call us? What did Jesus call us? So, more on that Sunday. <laughs> All right, all right. That's your sneak peek, right? Anything else, you got to pay him, pay him early. Uh, <laughs> amen, amen. 
Um, so hopefully that's enough to make you come to church at least. On, on Sunday. <laughs> and, and you know, if you see those people, invite them. Uh, him, not all of them, because they don't want them to act wrong. You know? uh, and I think it's important for us to, to cultivate relationships with folks who may disagree with us. I mean, I don't know the context. Was that your cousin? Was that your next-door neighbor? Or just some guy you met at the gas station or whatever? You, you know, if that's somebody you got a rapport with, then feel free to invite them into your space to discuss that. I spent four months uh, sitting down, kicking it with a, with a Muslim. Him trying to convince me, me trying to convince him. You know, I was unsuccessful, right? He was unsuccessful. Neither one of us converted. But, you know, my mission was just to represent Christ well and open up the Scriptures. It's not my job to change his mind. I'll leave that to the Holy Spirit. You, you know, I may find out. I don't even remember the brother's name. Couldn't tell you if you walked in the door right now. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't know. But, I mean, heaven knows. You, you know, so some things we just can't know. Uh, when I was young in the faith, my goal was get a bunch of Bible facts so I could be like an old West gunslinger. You, 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 you know, like, ah, oh, God. Yeah, come up with that stuff. I go, uh-huh. You, you know, but somewhere along the way, I recognized, you know, winning the argument is not the most important thing. All right, winning the person is the most important thing. And ain't no guarantee you're going to do that in the moment, right? You got to fall back on what Paul says, one water, one plant, one water. God gives the increase. It's what you got to fall back on and trust the Holy Spirit is going to do what he's going to do, all right? Your job is to know what you can know to the best of your ability, articulate it clearly with a smile and Christian love, and keep on moving, all right? You know, we got to know how to shake the dust off a little bit, you know, and keep it moving, amen? Next up, in verse 8, all right? Uh, I didn't have nothing, you know, special that I want to share in verse 8. In verse 9, uh, Paul says, because he repeated the same thing twice, right? If somebody come with another gospel, then other than we preach to you, let them be accursed, right? And so uh, let, let's zoom in on these verses. I would argue that the main point of verses 8 and 9 is the gospel as it was first delivered, which I would call the prototype, Right? There are no subsequent types, no improvements upon the original. A sub-point that I noticed is that the messenger is not more important than the message. Right? That, that's one of the things I noticed that I wanted to make sure to uh, hit home with you guys. Another one that is intimated is that our experience. All right? You got a lot of Christians today who emphasize their spiritual experiences to greater or lesser degree. Pastor Fines hit upon that on Sunday which I thought would be a great springboard into our study on tonight, uh, distinguishing regular versus spiritual experiences, whatever they might be, all right? But what I believe Paul is uh, at least intimating is that our experiences are not more important than the message. There are some believers who authenticate the message by their experience, and that's dangerous, right? You cannot say, I believe the Bible is true because I had a miraculous encounter. Right? Uh, flashback to Moses going before Pharaoh. God told me to tell you, let my people go. He throws his staff down, it becomes a serpent. Pharaoh says, ha 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 ha. Right? He says, fellas, they come over and throw their three staffs down and they become serpents, which I think is really kind of dope. You, you know, I'm like, that's some, that lets you know Satan got some power. Right? Right? You know, and I'm not particularly interested in seeing Satan show off like that. Right? But, Imagine somebody says, well, I believe Satan because Satan, I had an experience. You know, the guy told me if I follow him, he going to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. And he threw the staff down and became a serpent. 
And that's why I follow him, right? And he did three, and God's man did one. Three is better than one, so I'm going to go with the majority, right? It would be a legit. I couldn't say that experience wasn't true. It, it happened, right? But the fact that it happened does not authenticate who God is, what he's talking about, his word, or, or anything, right? And so we cannot be people caught up with experiences, whether that's the tongues or a miraculous visitation or you would sleep at night and something came over you in the bed and you couldn't move. A lot of people had those experiences, right? You, you know, I mean, and you can't find that in the scriptures nowhere. You cannot find such an experience described. And yet, if somebody was to share that with me, I would have no doubt that it happened because I've experienced it myself, right? So what does that mean? What does it mean, Pastor Flynn? I don't know. But I do know this, whether I could verbalize it or say it in my mind, Jesus, I know when I did that, it left. So there's my, that's how I'm going to cap my experience off, that my Bible tells me that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, things in heaven, things on the earth, things under the earth, and my Bible and my experiences match up, because when I called on Jesus, that thing, whatever it was, had to flee. And so my Bible gives me a proper lens through which to view my experience. You guys with me? All right, so that's last week. Let's go into this week. We go into verse 10. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Now, um, by way of just kind of hipping you guys to how Paul writes. Paul, Paul writes epistles. That's, that's the style of writing which he writes. But inside of his epistles, these letters that he writes to churches or people, all right, sometimes he writes what's called narrative. He starts telling a story, right? And we'll bump into a narrative inside an epistle tonight, right, in this section, which is why I believe Pastor Sonny thought that I could somehow manage to get through all this because he saw that it was a narrative. And he said, well, surely Pastor Flynn can make it through this, you, you know, now, I might not be worthy of such praise, but we're going to, but we'll get to the narrative in a minute. So but what I want to do, I want to read verse 10 all the way down to verse 24, and then we'll see how far we can get. You guys with me? All right. Notice what it says here. Paul going on, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached, that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Here's where the story begins, right? How I persecuted the church of God violently, tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. 
And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So as you can see, the majority of this text for tonight is Paul sharing his story, his, uh, his biography, a flyby of his biography, if you would. All right. And as we have time, we're going to go back and look at some zoomed in uh, scenes from his biography. But he began in verse 10 by asking a question. Am I now seeking the approval of man? Right. At this present time. Right. Am I seeking to make friends of or to win one's favor, gain goodwill or to seek to win one? Am I trying to strive to please somebody? Paul asked. And that's a heck of a question. Right. You, you know, he doesn't just say trying the word trying here. It means to endeavor. Right. So, you know, you've seen those people who kind of do too much. Yeah, meet somebody, you know, they ain't got no friends and you free, and you friendly. And then they just kind of put the full court press on you to try to be your friend. You, you, you know, you're like, oh, poor baby, you, you know, because uh, <laughs> you're just trying too hard. You ain't got to try that hard. You know, they all of a sudden like it. Every, they vegetarian. They eating ribs because you like ribs. You, you, you know, that's trying too hard. Right. Paul says, am I, am I working that hard to try to court favor with folks? Right. To, to please them. He says, now he doesn't answer the question. He, he figures we'll figure that out. Am I trying to please man, right? He says, if I were still trying to please man, notice he says, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. This word servant, uh, in some translations will say bond servant or what have you, but the word is doulos in the Greek, and it literally means slave, right? That, that, that's what it means, right? Slave man, slave woman, right? And this is a great place for us to pause for a moment because here Paul deals, saints, with the issue of people pleasing. And he deals with it in a rather abrupt manner. And so I want to make sure that we understand exactly what he is saying, though. And so my question for you is Paul saying that we should never seek to make friends or gain the goodwill of others or even to be pleasing of others. If not, what is he saying? My mama said he ain't saying that, so the rest of y'all don't get no opinion. Is he saying that? Well, she, I just said what she said, but man, oh, man, oh, oh, oh you wanted to expound upon it. Uh-oh. All right. All right. Now, y'all, you can have your opinion, folks. I'm not trying to trap you. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Is, is that what Paul is saying? Is Paul saying that we shouldn't try to please nobody? How y'all know? Wait, 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 wait. Now, if you're going to talk. Throw your hand up so she can bring the mic. Now you're going to end up expounding like my wife told you shouldn't. Well, there are many different occasions when you uh, need to try. Kids try to please their parents. Uh -huh. uh, employees try to please their employers. Uh -huh. So there are different occasions when that's necessary. However, uh, you don't please them by uh, succumbing to values and things that you know, like if your boss asks you to cheat, no, you can't do that. Or someone asks you to do something wrong, no, I, I don't. I know Paul is not saying that. Right, right. He's not trying to uh, gain the approval of man. He wants the approval of the Lord. Okay. All right, all right. Any other thoughts? Any others? Any others? 
All right, y'all got to warm up. It's cool. Oh, all right, honey. What comes to mind is uh, 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, like verse 20, as unto the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might gain Jews um, to them that are under the law, as under law. So, you know, that could be seen as people pleasing, but he's not saying that. He is trying to make a connection with folks so that he can win them for the gospel. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Yes. And I've heard people use that. Uh, th that particular passage to take a shot at Paul, right? What, what I want us to consider and remember as we look at any scripture, not just this scripture, is that context is king in Bible interpretation. Now, what's the larger interpret? What's the larger context of this passage? The context of Paul's statement is with respect to the gospel being accurately delivered. That is what Paul is talking about. When he says, am I striving to be pleasing to these folks, right? He is not telling us to be honorary Christians. You know, he's not telling us to be evil old cusses, right? You, you know, I don't care what nobody think about me. I'm do me and you do you and let that be what it is. You know, some of y'all know some honorary folks. Hopefully, don't look at nobody to hear, right, right? You, you, you know, and, and there, there is, we, we need to be congenial. All right. As a hus as a husband, I'm trying to please my wife 97 percent of the time, even when I blow it. Yeah, you, you, you know, and frequently, especially early in marriage, I was blowing it, but she would be like, "I know you meant well." I mean, you, you, you know, so I would at least get half credit. You, you know what I'm saying? You, you know, now, and she's trying to be pleasing to me, and hopefully, our children are trying to be pleasing, you know, to us, and we're trying to be. But I don't go out of my way to be offensive to anybody. Right. You know, and so we we shouldn't do that. But. There is a context in which we got to not care what nobody thinks. Right. We find ourselves in that context right here. Right. If my being pleasing or seeking the approval of others comes at a cost to the gospel, then it is wrong to do so. Right. Uh, one time, my, one of my former bosses, I used to keep my Bible on the desk at school all the time. Now, I wasn't preaching sermons to the kids unless they asked me a question, which sometimes they would. Now, they, they would get a little Sunday school teacher moment, right? But it was, I'm a math teacher by trade, so I wouldn't say, class, you know, we're not going to do math today, right? right? You, you know, what I want to do is give you guys a good exposition on. No, no, I mean, that would, that would go counter, counter to what I've been hired to do. So he said, hey, you know, Mr. Smith, I noticed you had your Bible on the desk. I need you to, to put that away. And I wrestle with that thing. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, is this a lose your job moment for me? Right. Uh, you know, I, I call my wife, you know, and I'm like, honey, the man just asked me to put my Bible up. You, you, you know, I mean, so I wrestled with that thing for a good while. Cause for me, I mean, that, that thing hit awfully close. I didn't know where the line was, but I knew I was awfully close to it at that particular point in time. Right. You, you know. Uh, and so, you know, I prayed about it and what have you. And, you know, the long and the short of it, the, the, the funny part about it is the kids still ask me questions. Right. So I put my Bible in my desk. It's still in my desk. Right. You, you know, uh, but there ain't too many of my kids that don't know who I am when I'm not a math teacher. And so they come. Hey, you a pastor. I heard you was a pastor. Right. I said, yeah, uh, I got a question for you. You, you know, and then when, let, let test time come. I remember one time 
ACTs and SATs came up, I walked in school, a bunch of them rushed me. Like, can you pray for us? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but we take this test. Oh, okay, sure, no problem. You know, so for me, for me, I'm not putting that on you guys. You got to come to this place and your own convictions. For me, it was that I couldn't put more emphasis on my Bible. He didn't ask me to disavow God. He didn't ask me, if your kids ask you a question, don't say nothing to them about it. He just asked me to put my Bible up, right? And so I'm measuring, do I obey my boss over this? Is this a betray Christ issue? It was not, in my estimation, a betray Christ issue. So I put my Bible up, and I was still just doing me, and kids still asked me questions, and things went on. Nothing changed about my interaction with my kids, right? And so some of you guys are doing stuff on the job. I've heard, of, I've heard the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? People on the job, and they, they praying with folks and doing all this. They ain't working. But, you know, I'm like, no, that ain't right, right? You, you, you know, you ain't supposed to you go in, you get, you, you know, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, right? So, so we got to make sure we're being the best employees. We don't want the person to say, you know what? You know, the Christians, every time I hire one, you know, they don't do no work. All they want to do is start a Bible study at lunch. Then they go over on their time at lunch. You know, they showing up late because they're talking about they was praying. You know, morning prayer on Wednesdays. You, you know, that's why they was late. You know, like, oh, I don't know about that. That can't be our reputation. Right? We got to move on. We go into uh, verse 11. Paul said, I didn't mean to step on no toes. I'm sorry. Yeah, I did. But anyway, uh, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, right? Um, he says the gospel that was proclaimed, that's what preached means, right, uh, is not man's gospel. It doesn't belong to man. It wasn't authorized by man, instituted by man, initiated by man, right? This is not where Paul got it from. And he says that the gospel that he got, that he received, I'm in verse 12. That's the problem. Looking at my notes, I'm like, wait a minute. This word ain't in verse 11. All right. We're going to verse 12. Because there, this narrative, this stuff is all together. There's not a whole lot in verse 11 that I want you to know, except for the phrase, is not after, right? For I would have you know that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. In the King James, it says it's not after man, right? Which means it's not according to, and it's not agreeable to man, right? This is this gospel, all right? It's, it's, it's a counter to the things that man would come up with, Right. We go into verse 12 for I did not receive it from any man. Right. Now, the receive that we see in verse 12 is the same receive that we got in verse nine. Right. The gospel that you received back in verse nine, the original gospel, the prototype. Right. That, that you are allowing someone else to make you fall away from, walk away from willingly. All right. He says, no, no, no. That gospel, that, that, that same received, I didn't get it from any man, 
So it wasn't an institutional thing, nor was I taught it by anybody. I wasn't brainwashed by anybody or indoctrinated by anybody. It's not old school thinking or new school thinking or any of that kind of stuff, right? This, this is what he's saying here. Um, but I received it through the revelation, through the revelation. We've seen this word revelation on a number of occasions. We will continue to see this word revelation, right? And this word revelation, well, first of all, receive the second receive is different than the first receive. And so you want to make sure that when you see words repeated that you don't have the assumption that they mean the exact same thing as they meant before. The second receive means by the service or the intervention of. Right? So let me make sure we see. The second receive, but I received it through. Right? And so I didn't get it from them, but I got it by way of or through another individual. Right? This is what he's saying here. Right? Now, pause for a minute, because I want you to understand. Bible study is a great place. I enjoy it. I, the, part of the, one of the greatest joys of my life is to be able to do what I'm doing right now. Right? However, what I, what I have to say is that you getting something from me is different than you getting something straight from God. I'm going to do my best not to tell you anything wrong and not get a C- minus ever again. But I can't guarantee it because I'm human. Right? I might come in. You know, now, I'm never going to say anything heretical because then I got to quit and go back to wherever I came from where they're going to fire me. Right? But that doesn't mean I won't mess up unintentionally and misspeak and tell you you got Ethiopia instead of Uganda. Right? Which puts you on the wrong side of a continent. You know, whatever. Right? And so Paul says, ah, I don't even want you to have to question the source. Right? Because I'm getting this directly from God. And what I want to tell you is that there are things that cannot be logically deduced by educational means. The gospel is one of them, which is why Paul and the disciples had to get it straight from the source. The, the gospel is not something that we would intuitively come up with, that somebody else who uh, would come along become human but stay divine and die for our sins and take the penalty for our sins. We couldn't have come up with that. Right? We couldn't even have imagined a, a, a construct like that. We would just pray, God hook me up. Look the other way. Wink, wink. Right? That, that's, what, that's the best we could do, right? And so as Paul says, no, no, I got this, this revelation, this disclosure of truth, this instruction concerning divine things that were before unknown. So imagine, when Paul comes along, the human race had been on the earth for thousands of years, having interactions with God, right? You, you know, we see David and Moses and Abraham and, and, and all the way back to Adam. And so Paul says, what I'm about to give y'all was never before known in human history, and it's not because there weren't people smart, it couldn't have been known. God gives Paul through Christ information and teaching that were previously unknown and unknowable to mankind. This is what revelation is, right? Given to Paul by God himself through Christ, Holy Spirit, all of this. Now, the obvious question as we look at this text right here is when did all this happen to Paul? And he's going to give us some clues to ponder in a bit, for, but for now let's do just a little bit of snooping 
into Paul. We'll begin with his initial encounter. Need some volunteers right quick. Because uh, we want to look at Paul. If y'all don't know what you know about Paul, I won't make any assumptions. Uh, go back to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Honey, do me a favor. Why don't you read it, please? Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. All right, so th this is Paul's origin story. You want to see the movie, there it is, right? You, you know, in terms of how Paul became Paul. He saw at the time he had this interaction with, with Christ, right? Now, we're not done. Uh, Meg, you got, you got the mic. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 right quick. Just a few verses, verses 1 through 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Paul telling a bit more about his story. I must, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Or I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Heavy stuff, right? Now, uh, many commentators believe, and I do as well, that Paul is speaking about himself in, in this passage. Now, now, note that our obvious question is not answered by anything we just read, right? Be careful when people talk a lot and don't answer your question. Right? Make sure you keep, keep a track of what your question was. Our question was, when did all this happen? Paul didn't tell us exactly when all this happened. But what we can definitively state is that we don't know for sure when this took place, except to say it happened sometime between his conversion, which we read about, right? You, you know, and the mid to, his conversion happened in the mid to late 30s A.D., right? So Jesus on the cross somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D., right? Paul some, somewhere shortly after the ascended Christ is risen, all right, and the apostles are doing their thing and all of the persecution, all of this is happening in five to seven years after Christ leaves 
leaves the scene, right? So sometime between those late third, mid to late 30s AD and the mid 50s, when we know that uh, books were starting to be written, right? So somewhere in that period of time is when we know, when we can ascertain what we just read happened by way of great revelation and visions, being caught up to the third heaven and all of this kind of stuff, right? Now, as we go back to the text, Paul continues his origin story. Now, hold on for a second, because I know you're thinking, uh, well, what about my question? Put a pen in it right quick. I'm going to tell you what to do with your questions sometimes, right? Because questions are good. They make us go looking deeper than we would look if we were just reading passively, right? So questions make you search, and some truths won't be found unless you search for them, right? Don't you wish you could get rich just by walking around kicking the dirt? You know, somebody told you there's gold around here. Sure, let's go find it. Looking like pigeons pecking, right? You got to dig if you want to find some gold, right? You, you know, now we go into verse 13. says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. We saw that in Acts chapter 9, right? Now, when he says you heard, that doesn't mean they read about it in a tweet or they saw a webpage or they saw something in the Wall Street Journal, right? Stuff traveled by ear. These, these folks literally heard to find out by hearsay, all right, what has been mentioned uh, of his former life. Uh, and it's great to have a former life. Every Christian ought to have a former life. All right, and I hope you catch what I'm saying because I don't want to have to start preaching over here. Right, <laughs> right, right. It, it, it ought to be former, right? Uh, and, and life, nine times out of ten when you see life in, in both the Gospels and in the epistles, I won't say nine out of ten, let's say seven out of ten. It means lifestyle, your manner of life, right? The, the way you conduct yourself, right? Uh, a lot of times, still look it up when you, when you just to make sure, and you, you know, let context be king, but a lot of times he's talking about lifestyle. So he, he, he's saying who I used to be, right? I used to be that persecutor of the church. I used to be that guy who was caught up in, in the elements of Judaism, I was way deep in, right? Judaism, the Jewish faith and worship, all right, the religion of the Jews as we would come to, uh, come to know. We could do a deeper dive on that, but we won't uh, tonight. There's three uh, kind of, uh, in a modern sense, there's three lanes of Judaism that one could fall for, really, if you include Messianic Jews, which are Jewish Christians, right? But we won't go any further than that. He, he goes on to say, I persecuted the church. This word persecuted is, is an interesting word. It means in any way, whatever, in any way, whatever, to harass, trouble, or molest one. Not in a sexual connotation, but ju just to just do whatever he can to trouble them, right? And, and Paul was really zealous about his, 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 um, his persecution, as we, as we saw, right? So much so that he didn't confine his persecution to his locale. Right? He took his persecution on the road, which is where Jesus met him. We just read the story. Right? You, you know, and so this is what's going on now. Notice what the text says, or notice who the text says Paul persecuted. It, notice that it doesn't say he persecuted Christians. What's your Bible say? He persecuted the church. Well, what's the church? Collectively, all who worship and honor God and Christ in whatever place they may be. But I think this is an important place for us to pause, right? Why do you think 
Paul said, I persecuted the church. Now, pause before you answer this question, right? Because I, I, I don't want to mess your mind up in time sequence. Paul's telling a story about who he used to be. But he's telling it from the vantage point of who he is. So, present day Paul says, I persecuted the church. Why doesn't present day Paul say, I persecuted Christians? All right, who's got a thought? You getting up to come get the mic? Oh, okay, I'm just, <laughs> just checking. All right, I don't even know who got where. Okay, well, all right, James back there. Got, got a thought on it. My thought, so my thought is um, that when Paul was talking about his past, that he was kind of explaining to um, the Galatians in regards to them, to me, when somebody, when somebody is taught you something and then they, um, you come back and they change, to me, they like try to discredit the messenger. And so in them discrediting the messenger, to me, it was like he was like defending who he was at that moment in the letter that he wrote. Okay, let me make sure I'm getting you, bro. So you're saying, my, the question is, why do you think Paul said church and not Christians? So you're saying Paul, in addressing those who are trying to discredit him, is, because I don't know if I'm quite following you. So help, help me out. So I was saying, as far as like, with him, you say with him saying the church right. and not Christians. Right. Um, I guess to me, the church is... Christians, the, the, the body of believers that's following Christ. The way I agree, 100%. So, so, so in that, again, when you're trying to discredit the message, you discredit the messenger. So I believe that with Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Galatians, that he was defending himself based on, look, I brought you this message, right? And I told you, like you say earlier, when you mentioned as far as what he was saying um, where he didn't get this from man. Right. You know, that he got it from Jesus. And so with that, I guess how I would bring, if I'm trying to discredit something, I'm going to discredit the person that brings it to me. Right. If I discredit the person that brings it to me, it'll challenge the individuals that are receiving it to get something else, if that makes sense. Okay, okay, okay. I'm trying to track with you, but thank you. Any other thoughts? Any other thoughts on it? Sis. Okay. Um, one, thing, one thing that came to mind was just like he was trying to tear down the institution, kind of like when we think about dismantling racism, we want to tear down the institution of racism. Gotcha. We can take out each racist, but that'll take a long time. So you, want to you can't take out each Christian. You want to take down the institution of the church. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, is that kind of what you were saying, James? Is that, is that tracking with what you were saying? Thumbs up, thumbs down, sideways, thumbs up. Okay, all right. Kim? Oh. Really quick, if you hold the mic a little closer, it'll come through a little uh -oh. more. Technical uh, assistance right there. I we just got some right, advice right. from the tech team. Um, I don't know. I just was thinking about what was actually going on with the Galatian region. Right. Like they're, they're being troubled by these people. 
you know, and Paul's basically saying, look, I was one of these. This, this is what I was about. Right. You know, I was trying to tear down the church. This is not just about individuals. It's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's kind of like the correlation I saw because he knew, like people talked about him, even in Acts, he talked about women, men, whoever, but it was bigger than that for Paul. It was about the, the institution, this new um, body you know, what Christ was, has done. And so he was trying to tear that down and that that's what the threat was here. Right. It wasn't just about the gospel and the church. It was one and the same. It was like, this is what's really going on. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Ma? I, I was thinking that uh, he wanted to eradicate that whole movement. Right. Um, he was a Jew to his heart. And to him, the Christ followers uh, was something that should be just totally stamped out. Mm-hmm. So any person did that dealt uh, or was identified as part of that movement, he called them the church, and he wanted to tear it down from its core. All right, all right, all right. Uh, I see you, sis. Go, go ahead. I take one more. All right, y'all, y'all getting deep. Y'all, y'all, y'all thinking deep. I think he was trying to show um, from what I think is that the um, church belongs to him and he's married to the church. He so who? what married to the church? No, you said it belongs to him. Him who? Oh, God. OK, so so you're saying Paul present day as he's writing is trying to show that the church belongs. No, I'm saying that you, you ask, why did God say um why didn't he say the, the why did he say he persecuted the church and not Christians? Right, right. I'm saying that the the church is um he's married to the church and in that day and age they would have understood that the, the, the Christians didn't wasn't um the name Christians didn't hadn't been associated with them yet, but mm. the church was. And so he was showing that you know, and Paul or yeah, I'm sorry, Saul would have been, you know. He's like, what you've done to these people, what you've been doing, you're doing to me. It's not, it's not that these people, you're, you're thinking it's these people, it's really me that you're gotcha, doing it to. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, all right. Y'all walking heavy tonight. Um, thank you guys for, for, for taking your shots at that, and I like a lot of what you said. Uh, Paul understood something. Paul, present day as he writes, understood something that Paul saw didn't. Now, let's be careful on our, on our history. Uh, you made the statement that they wouldn't have understood Christians, but they would have understood the church. Acts is the first time we see the word church being used outside of, let me see, Jesus said, told Peter and the guys. So that's the very first mention of the word ecclesia in the New Testament. When Jesus says that. So it's not a word that is necessarily commonplace in the culture, I would make the argument. Uh, and when Paul is launching his attack, the church is in its formative stages, right? You, you know, so it's not, uh, it's not tightly organized. You got the apostles, the 11 by, by now, or maybe James is already gone. So maybe it's 10 of them by now, you, you know, but there are lots of people getting converted 
from Judaism to what was called the way. Right? You, you know, and so Saul is going after folks in the same way that governments go after the people uh, to instill fear in them so that they won't join a movement. Right? This is, this is what, it, what he's doing. And, and it's government-sanctioned terrorism, if you would. I want to, you know, it's what it is. It's religiously instituted, government-sanctioned terrorism on the people of the way who are followers of Christ, who they build as an insurrectionist. Right? You know, so the Romans build them as an insurrectionist because the Jews prompted them into it. Right? But the Jews knew he's not just an insurrectionist to Rome. He's an insurrectionist to our hookup. Right? You know, because we got a whole little system, a whole little religious pecking order here, and people are going to stop adhering to it. They're going to stop giving to it. And so we got to get them. Now, Paul saw seem to be so zealous for it that he's the kind of guy who does it because he's sincere about it. And we're going to talk about sincerity because a lot of Christians get caught up on sincerity. But let's continue on. What, what Paul says here. Uh, oh, what was the answer? <laughs> Good, thank you, honey. Uh, Paul understood that his many individual attacks were intended by the enemy. Paul, present day as he writes understood that the individual attacks by Saul were intended by the enemy to stop the organism from growing. Right? Because the church is not an institution as much as it is an organism. Sure enough, the church has institutional aspects. We got to take care of business. Right? You know, there's hierarchy, there's leadership, all those kind of things. But that's not really what the church is. That's what the church has. Right? The church is an organism. The difference between an institution and an organism, an institution describes inanimate things, systems. Right? An organism is a biological thing, and a church is a biological spiritual thing. All right? And please make sure that you let me know if you're not understanding my distinction between these two. The church is composed of people. If no buildings ever existed, the church still exists. If no deacon boards, no usher boards, no choirs, none of the institutional aspects of church ever existed, the church still exists, right? Because the church is the people. When Jesus come back, this address is not going to lift up into the sky, right? And none of the other addresses are going to lift up into the sky, all right? Read your Bible. What's the Bible say? You know, dead in Christ going to rise first. The, we who are alive going to be caught up. No mention of buildings, you, you know, uh, addresses, bank accounts, you know, uh, letters, uh, you, you know, that's registered with the state. No mention of all of that. Right, right. So that's not what he's coming back for. He's not coming back for the organization. Right. He's coming back for his people and his people are the church. Right. You guys with me? So Paul says that I persecuted the church of God violently. Right. This word violently, it means beyond measure, exceedingly. Right? I mean, and it's difficult for us to imagine because all we get is a glimpse of it. So, so I got to believe that there's aspects that, that the Holy Spirit says, you know what? I'm not including that. But Paul says, I persecuted the church violently. The only, the, the, the roughest we see is the scene with Stephen. Now that's violent. 
I mean, stoning a brother is violent. Nobody in an American context in a modern era, unless you're looking at film from what they're doing over in the Middle East with, with Al-Qaeda and all of that, and I don't suggest you do that stuff to disturb your soul, because that's not Hollywood. That's real, right? Somebody getting stoned, you, you know, is a traumatic kind of thing, right? And so pause there. Yep, go ahead, get him. I sign off on that one, you, you, you know, and who knows what else? Just because we only read about Stephen doesn't mean Stephen was the only one. Right? And so Paul says, I persecuted him violently and I tried to destroy it. Right? Now, the, the, the word try to destroy it means to overthrow it, to make havoc of the church. So Paul now, he's saved now, the Holy Spirit is with him now, has an understanding of who he was and what he was up to that I doubt he had when he was doing it. Remember what Jesus said and Stephen said. The only two people I know that says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Right? Now, I want you just to flash back for a second. All right? If you've been saved longer than a few weeks, then you might remember who you used to be. I hope you do. Never forget who you used to be because that'll lessen what God did. Right? But let me ask you, when you was doing at the height of your dirt, do you think that, see, you can see it now so clearly. Man, I was a fool. I was an idiot. I was a, or this or that. Man, how could I have done God so dirty? You know, because the blinders are off. Now I can see clearly who I used to be. But as I flash back to 25-year-old me, 20-year-old me, does 25-year-old me have a clue, the fullness of the offense that I'm rendering against God while I'm standing in them shoes, 35-year-old me is like, whoa, man, I can't, you know. 35-year-old me is like, yes, Lord, thank you for your mercy, God. Man, 35-year-old me, I'm not 35 anymore. 53-year-old me got a good, man, like, whoa, God, you put up with all that for that long? Man, but when I was doing it, ah, you know, I'm just doing me. I don't even think about the magnitude of my foolishness let me go a step beyond foolishness, my sinfulness. I, I don't have a clue, because if I got a clue, that's, that's, that's troubling if I got a clue. The Bible calls some sin presumptuous sin. In the, and sometimes when people got a clue, Ananias and Sapphira had a clue what they was doing. Right? They had, they had a clue. And so God gave them a bigger clue. <laughs> right? right you, you know what I'm saying? Right? So, so, I don't think Paul, as he looks back at Saul, I don't think Saul had a clue, right? You, you know, it's so deep that when, when uh, Paul gets saved and his three days is over, the Bible says scales fell off his eyes. That's not metaphorical, right? That, that's physical. Pastor Sonny, uh, <laughs> it's funny because Pastor Sonny said, you know what, well, I'm just chilling tonight, you know, you ain't got to, <laughs> I love it. I have a question just trying to get um, clarity and understanding. I love what you're saying. So it sounds like back to what my sister over here was trying to say. Do you think that the Acts 9 occasion on the road to Damascus where the scales dropped when Jesus says, I got an issue because you're persecuting me. me. So Saul hears, hears that and now Paul has this the fullness of that revelation that the church is a representation of Christ. Right. What he was doing is representing that representation in the church. Amen. Does that work? Yeah, I, that works for me. Okay. But I'm saying, prior to that moment, 
we go, we're gonna, we're gonna, let's go further into it because Paul is talking to us about Saul. And I want us to make sure we get a good understanding of Saul. Because if we get a good understanding of Saul, we'll understand Paul a lot better. Right? Because he's telling us about himself. You go into verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism. Right? I was increasing. He was getting A's in all the Judaism classes. Right? Right? You, you know, he was, you know, head of the class and all of that. Head and shoulders above the rest. Right? An up-and-comer in the ranks. He says in verse 14, right? Advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age. So he was a standout, right, amongst his own people. Extremely zealous. Two words you want to be careful of putting together, right? Extremely, more exceedingly is what it means. Zealous. Uh, it, it means to defend or uphold a thing. Vehemently contending for a thing. So this is who Saul was, right? Paul was a, Saul was a serious brother. He was not a wishy-washy brother. He was not a guy who would just uh, do one thing, say another, and all of that. Saul was a serious man who had serious convictions about what he believed, and his serious convictions led to very serious actions, right? This is who Saul was, right? What was he serious about? He says, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. This word traditions, it speaks of precepts received from the fathers, uh, whether handed down in the Old Testament books or orally. So he's talking about Judaism. He's talking about all the things he's learned in, in the Torah, all that's come through in, in the tradition of the Pharisees and all of that throughout the centuries, right? Some thought of these traditions or the body of precepts, especially the rituals, which in the opinion of the latter Jews were orally delivered by Moses and orally transmitted in unbroken succession to subsequent generations, which precepts both illustrating and expanding the written law. I'm going to explain all I'm just saying right there. All right. As they were obeyed with equal reverence. Pause for a second. Understand the way Saul looked at tradition. Saul looked at tradition and so many of his contemporaries looked at tradition with equal weight to the text. Right. As a matter of fact, they would make slight amendments to the text, which is why when Jesus comes along and has his issues with the Pharisees, the Pharisees are trying to quote scripture to him. Jesus would point out where they were missing. See that they had gotten scripture twisted with their traditions. They intermingled them and then said that's scripture now. Right. So imagine me and you get together and. We want to write some scripture and we're going to say God helps those who help themselves and we're going to say it for generations, right? And we're going to say it for so long that we no longer, we don't remember that we changed scripture. We just call that scripture. And so somebody else comes along and we say, well, you know what the Bible say? God helps those who help themselves. And if you don't know your Bible, you say, yeah, it do say that. Right, right, you, you know. I mean, your Bible says a stitch in time saves nine, Right. Good. Nobody raised their hand. Right. Your Bible does not say a stitch in time saves nine. That's what poor Richard's almanac. Right. You know, Benjamin Franklin said that. Right. But it's, it's a lot of stuff that Benjamin Franklin said that Christians are walk around saying, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned. Right. If I switch it up and say a talent saved is a talent earned, you might think I got that from somewhere. You know, that's a proverb. Right. You, you know, so we want to be really careful not to intermingle our sayings with the text because 
What happens is if you do it long enough, you get convinced that that's the text. And then you begin to act on it and live on it like that's the text. And this, Paul says, I was zealous about that. That whole body of stuff that is both Torah and extra. Right? This is what Paul says, right? Take a look right quick. Acts 22, uh, verse 3. Acts 22 and verse 3. He says, you guys with me? I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Now, this is a, a super important verse in the lifespan of Paul, Saul. He's, notice he didn't say zealous for the traditions right there. He said, I'm zealous for God, right? Now, is this verse a clarification of what we've seen earlier in Acts? Is it an evolution of understanding of where he really was or just something else he was zealous about, right? I, I would argue that it's both a clarification and an evolution, right? Earlier we see, because Acts 22 is Paul. Acts 9 is Saul. Earlier, I'm zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I'm zealous for God. They're not the same, right? So I argue that Paul has evolved in that period of time, right? Um, and I believe that Paul would have equated a zealousness at the time, that Paul would have equated a zealousness for God with a zealousness for the traditions of the fathers, right? How do I know? Well, we see it today, right? How do you fly a plane into a building? You got to be really zealous about what you believe, all right? How do you drink poison Kool-Aid? You got to be really zealous about what you believe. You got to hold deep convictions that, that what you believe is true in order for you to do that. You don't do that stuff if you're wishy-washy in what you believe, right? Sis, hold on. The mic is coming. Ah, uh, nope, nope, nope. That's, that's not what they're trying to hear on the tech team, that you loud. Thank you. Okay, when you talk about the traditions and how they would weigh their traditions almost equally with the text. Right. Are you speaking to, like, the different writings? Like, if you hear a Jewish person discuss the Torah today, present day, back then, there was always um, writings and gotcha. things that they had, that the Jews had, mm -hmm. that they would, that their um, teachers, their rabbis yeah. would write, and there was different levels of rabbis yeah. that created yeah. different, you know, texts that often get confused with scripture. A lot of times when they're discussing scripture, they have a whole theory. Gotcha, gotcha, Is gotcha. that what you mean, that they are weighing yeah, They would be writings? included. Uh, one of those texts is called a Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D. Talmud, yeah. All right? You, you know, and a Talmud is a commentary. So let's bring that, let's bring that back to us for a minute. All right? Uh, how many Christians do you know who quote bishops, elders, pastors, apostles more than they quote Bible? How many Christians you know, well-meaning, who they say, I was studying the Bible? And I say, great, what were you studying? You know, I, give me a particular text. And, they, and then they read me or they share with me their findings. And all they're doing is reading what they read in the commentary. 
So they're not sharing what the Holy Spirit gave as they, as they were studying, diving deep down in there. They're sharing what the commentator believes, right? And sometimes the commentator is so convincing that you say, you know what, that's it right there. You, you, you know, and I'm, I'm running with that. Now, you know, let me plant my house right there and I'm going to start acting. I'm going to develop convictions based on what the commentator said and my convictions are going to lead to different actions based on what the commentator said. And I won't even think about it until somebody comes along who didn't read my commentator. And they say, well, how'd you come up with that? And then I got to say, well, I, I read it in my commentary. You, you know, not, you know, I studied and this, that, and the other. And I looked at other scriptures that supported that thought, you know, and all of that. Uh, so, so I don't want us to villainize them because the tendency is innate in all of us to get some, a body of, of sincerely held beliefs that are comfortable to us and hold on to them for dear life and fight hard against anybody who tries to loosen our grip on those things, right? That, that, that's, that's our tendency, right? Uh, and, and so again here, I think Paul would have equated this zealousness for God with the zealousness for the traditions of the fathers. Now, you might be asking, okay, that was all too much. Why was that significant, Pastor Flynn? Why did we spend 10 minutes on that? Let me ask you a question. What do you sincerely hold to be true? What do you sincerely hold to be true? And does sincerity, sincerity rather, or zeal or passion equal the truth? Does sincerity, I've met some very sincere people. I have no doubt that they believe what they believe. Because if they wasn't sincere, I would have doubts on whether they believed it. Right? But they sincerely believe it. Right? They are passionate about their belief in it. They have zeal for it. But does sincerity, passion, and zeal equal truth? Can you be sincerely, passionately, zealously wrong? You can absolutely be, and we better well remember that because it ain't always them that are sincerely, passionately, zealously right. We're not always those things, which is why we got a whole lot of fighting inside the church because of that sincerity, that passion, that zeal, right? And I'm not saying abandon sincerity, passion, or zeal. I'm saying keep a back door open for new data to come in to show you whether or not your sincerity, your passion, and your zeal are misplaced. You, you know, because some of us were zealous about chitlins until the, we got, you know, a revelation from the doctor. Some of us were zealous about chocolate cake and a revelation came, right? That, you, you know, some of us were zealous about whatever, and we'll start with the light, but some of us were zealous about him or her. Some of us were zealous about it, right? You, you know, so, so we... We can be passionate about a whole lot of stuff that ain't no good for us, right? Now, we got 10 minutes left. Lord, help us. As we go into verse 15, Paul is the testimony of his former life with a but. Notice what it says here. All right, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me or in me, as some say, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem 
to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia, returned again to Damascus. I read all three of those because that's one long sentence. All right? It's three verses, but it's one long sentence. Right? So I put them together. Now, there's a translation note here. We're going to do this from time to time. The ESV, I would argue, uh, which I, I love the ESV, but it does a poor job here because it leaves the reader to infer or assume that God is who Paul is talking about. All right? You got a parallel Bible. Or you got your phone and you can look at a quick other translation that's not the ESV, you will notice that when you know when I read verse 15 in the King James, it says, But when it pleased God who separated me. But it says in the ESV, but when he who had set me apart. Right? You look in the Greek, there it is, Theos, God. Right? So the ESV writers just put a pronoun in there and it took out God. Don't know why they did it. They don't, don't know the their, their translation philosophy, but it's too easy a word to, for them not to have. I don't understand why they did it, but I'm pointing that out to you guys, right? Other translations in the original make it clear it was God that did the setting apart, right? Now, what does it mean to set, to set him apart, right? To appoint one for some purpose to do something, right? So God set Paul apart to do something. When did he do it? We'll find out. He says, before I was born. Here we got to pause for an interpretive conversation on translations, right? The ESV renders this as before I was born. The NIV says from my mother's womb. The Net Bible says from birth. From these three and other translations always line up on one of these three. From these we can conclude three possibilities on Paul being set apart. All right? Pre-utero, in-utero, post-utero. For those of you with no biology background, that's before you was conceived, while you was cooking, or after you got out. Right? So, so, which one is right? Did God set Paul apart before Paul got here? While he was cooking? Or after he came out? And my mother is emphatic, right? And she says a quick yes. But how can we know for sure? How can we know? Because she's passionate about it. Does a quick yes mean you're right? You might be. We'll see, right? Because <laughs> when you're passionate, you know you're right. right. I'm passionate about Michigan State, right? Uh-oh, she said, my mama's starting to preach, y'all. We got to hurry up and get out of here, right? Now, this is not just us having a nerdy moment because I want The question really is, does it matter? Does it matter in this case, whether it's pre-utero, in-utero, or post-utero? Is that important? Why is it important? Now, the answer we find in a couple of verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Somebody run there right quick. Uh, read that nice and loud. All right. My mama probably going to get there so she can read it nice and loud. Right. <laughs> it lines up with her view. Right? Ephesians, I mean, sorry. Uh, Romans 8, 29. Uh, somebody else grab Ephesians 1, 4. Ephesians 1, 4. All right. Romans 8, 29. You got it, Ma? Is the green light on? Hello, hello. It's on. Check one. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Probably batteries going. All right. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. All right. Uh, let's go to Ephesians right quick. Ephesians 1, 4. All right. I I'll read that one. Ephesians 1, 4 says, For we know, brothers, 
loved by God that he has chosen you, right? Uh, is, is what that one says. He has, he has chosen you. Uh, Paul would go on later to talk about uh, the manner of that chosen. And so these two verses seem to, uh, to me to, to, at least that Romans piece is very clear, that God set Paul apart prior to his conception, pre-utero, right? Now, Scripture comments on itself for clarity most of the time, right? Forget about commentaries when you're doing your early study. You pick up commentaries after you come to a conclusion based on your study, right, of Scripture, because allow Scripture to comment on Scripture before you allow Dr. Bishop Elder so-and-so to comment on Scripture, right? I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying be fully persuaded from Scripture first and then allow somebody else to speak into that one way or another. That way you can have an argument with them if you need to, right? Scripture comments on itself with clarity most of the time. Doesn't matter. It matters greatly because it takes us out of the equation for glory and for shame, right? It takes us out of the equation for glory because I can't say, look what I did. I am the man. Look at my accomplishments. Man, you know, I'm a self-made man who did all this wonderful stuff. No, no, God says, no, nah, man, I planned that before you even got there. You hadn't even thought. And, and, you know, I allowed you to be born, first of all, at the time you was born, set up the circumstances so you could get there and, and do that. So you don't, get no, you don't get no glory, right? But some of us don't have problems with glory. Some of us have problems with shame, right? You, you know, we like, I, I ain't worthy. Uh, you know, my, my, the circumstances of my birth, my upbringing, my activities, you know, uh, God can't use me. God wouldn't use me, you know, because... I'm, I'm, I'm a bum, right? You, you know, can you imagine if Paul let the shame of who he was stop him from doing what he did? I, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I don't care how bad your story is. I, I bet you none of us would stand up and say, you know what? I was a worse sinner than Saul. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, okay, you, you know. Uh, if you do, you're going against Scripture. Because the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to say, I'm the chief of sinners. The Holy Spirit allowed Paul to write that. Right? You, you, you know, so that, that's, I mean, Saul was a bad boy in the center hall of fame. Right? You, you know, and, and, and Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to take you out of here. I'm going to put you over here. Right? And, and so we can't allow glory or shame to be the issue. And so, God says, don't worry about that. I had your whole thing charted out. Or you get to participate in it. You get to act in it. All right? And I'm sure somebody's going to ask me questions. Well, does that mean Paul didn't have free will and all of that? Paul always had free will. Saul always had free will. Saul did everything that he did because he wanted to do it. And then Paul turned around and did everything that he wanted to do because he wanted to do it. All right? The mysterious part about it is how does God get accomplished all he gets accomplished in us and through us without violating our free will? so that he gets all the glory, and we can't take none of it. All right? And to my answer to that is, I don't know. Right, right? I mean, God is God, and we not. That, that's the answer to the question. All right? Now, we got a couple of minutes left. All right? We go back to our text here. He got called by his grace, and we, uh, make sure you listen to last week's message. If you didn't, we did a uh, a deep dive on grace uh, here again it speaks to that kindness by which God bestows favor even upon the ill deserving 
and grants to sinners the pardon of their offenses and bids them accept eternal salvation through Christ. He goes on to verse uh, 16, that is, uh, and he says, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, this will be our last stop. Please here, as it refers to God, it means it seemed good to one. It is, is one's good pleasure to think it good, right? And so Paul tells us God thought this was a good thing, right? His whole Paul mission, right? You, you know, and, and I marvel at God because God doesn't do things the way we would do it. I mean, I want the story to be he was born, God got a hold of him, to him at three. He lived a, a, a almost perfect life, did a bunch of great things, died at 105, went on to glory. That's what I want the story to be. I like for that to be my story. It's not too late, blew it, right? But if we're going to tell the fairy tale, who wants the section where I wandered far away from God, I was a miserable sinner, did a bunch of miserable things, and then God had to blind me, you know, kick me off a horse, in order to get my attention. And, and then, you know, after he saved me, all this other bad stuff started happening to me. But, oh, by the way, I wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. A bunch of folks got saved. Church in the Gentile world expanded greatly, and all you folks over here now are the fruit of my labors. Right? I, I mean, you know, who, who would sign up for that in advance of knowing it? I mean, imagine we are floating souls out there, as some people believe, and God says, hey, you little soul, I'm about to send you to earth. I'm going to give you your choice on how you want this thing to go. You, you know, you can take the really bumpy road, but it's going to end up glorious. You can take the really great road, but it's going to be short, super short, like Stephen. Right? You, you, you know, you're going you know, to be martyred at, at 22. Right? You know, you, you're going to die at three. Right? But you're coming to heaven. Right, which one would you choose? Right? If you could choose. I mean, not that he gives us that. that it's too much to think about. Right? It's too much to think about like, like that. Right? You, you know, uh, but, but Paul says, no, forget all that for a moment. That's a mindless meander. My bad. Got caught on a bunny trail. Let's come back you know, for my one minute left. All right. He says it. Please God to reveal, to make known, to make manifest his son in me. And this will be the last place we stop. The NIV says to me. A lot of the other translations, most of them, in fact, say in me. The Greek says in me. Right. And so, again, this is another interpretive conversation moment, right? Um, this is important because it has a different meaning within than it does too, right? There's a distinction in meaning, so we got to get this one right. You wouldn't think that an I-N versus a T-O would make that much difference, but it does, right? Uh, why did Paul get the mission he got? Why did he get the mission he got? You, you know, he got the mission he got to reveal Christ to the Gentiles. That was the reason he got the mission he got. Why did God choose Paul? He's another great question. To reveal Christ. Why did God choose you and me? You, you might have been wondering, but it's the same. To reveal Christ. Check out Colossians 1.27 as we wrap up. Colossians 1.27, it says here. Do, do, do. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? Which is 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, sometimes we can get a little wrapped up in our own narratives. You know, you can ask a lot of why questions. Why did it happen? Why did I have a bad mama, a bad daddy? Why did that set of circumstances happen to me? You know, and if we're not careful, we can allow our narrative, which is our narrative, but our narrative is a small part of God's larger narrative. And if we focus too intently on our narrative, we can miss his narrative, right? You, you know, it's not so much about who Paul was when he was Saul and what he did, right? It's much more about who Jesus is and what he did through Paul that impacted us, right? You know, so we, we don't want to idolize our narrative. And I got to tell you, sometimes I don't just mean worshiping in an old, my narrative was so great. Sometimes if you allow your narrative to paralyze you into not doing what God's called you to do or being who God's called you to be, that's you idolizing your narrative because you, 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 you're allowing it to hold you captive, all right, to, it, to the point where you can't do anything. God can't use you. And God has already told us he's given us grace and peace in his present evil age so that we can do this great work of revealing Christ to the world that he has allowed us to be in in the time and space that he's allowed us to be in, right? And so we're going to wrap it up right there. Uh, we got a lot of verses left there. We won't get to all these next week. Make sure you read. Read ahead. We're going to go on into chapter 2 on next week. Let me see if I, well, maybe not. We might, I might have a nugget or two at the beginning if you don't have questions. But uh, we're going to wrap it up right there. So let's, let's close in a word of prayer. And then we'll wrap up. Father God, we bless your name. We thank you so, so much for your word on tonight, God. Uh, forgive me, Lord, if I have not gotten as far as you wanted me to get, Lord. And I pray that you will continue to, to guide me uh, and all who will hold this desk and deliver your word, oh God. But I pray, uh, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be the after teacher, that your people would have learned what you wanted them to learn on tonight. They would not just learn it intellectually, but that something would have been said, Lord, that would spark something in them, Lord, that they would grow, be edified. Lord, empowered to do your will in the earth, God, that we might all be people, Lord, dedicated, uh, Lord, zealous, uh, sincere about revealing you to a watching world. May they see Christ in us, the hope of glory is our prayer. Guide us now, Lord, safely to our next destination. And if you should decide to tarry for a week longer, bring us back together again at the appointed time and we might once more search the scriptures to see if those things are so. Do blessings and keep us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.